no more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World. The lights are still on and we are still recording podcast. Thankfully, Ralph, it's good to have you back again. It's it's great to be back here. I would like to mention, since this is the end of the world and we are speaking to you on the 3rd of July, and uh, this, this so you will hear this podcast after the 4th of July, I'm sure, because you certainly don't want to spend the 4th of July listening to it. It'll appear some days after that. But I did want to mention Alex Jones's prediction. Oh, uh, oh, let me, let me guess. Okay. Um, Will Smith is the star. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex Jones thinks that that uh, people on the left, you know, the untrustworthy liberals, are going to start a civil war on the 4th of July. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I, I saw a tweet about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he. It, it was really. I, I try to ignore him as much as possible. Although I have to admit, I love conspiracies again because I think we talked about this a little bit before. Because the logic of them is so beautiful. Yeah, and I think it actually talks a little bit more to the fact that we live in a culture of belief and desire much more than we are in a culture of reason and logic. <laughs> you know, whatever comes from that. And there are just a good number of people who really want to believe that what Alex Jones says and does can be trusted. Um, it's very emotionally high key. So it's, you know, kind of like watching a Baptist conversion every time that I watch him. <laughs> it's really kind of astounding. But the Civil War thing really just floored me. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, um, you know, these hippie pot smoking leftists are not going to be able to fight us with their avocado toast. So, you know. <laughs> and you I, know who pays for that I, avocado toast? George Soros. <laughs> George Soros has taken his fortune and is using it to pay for pot and avocado toast for the leftist, gunless, un unarmed <laughs> right, <that's> right. <laughs> causers of the Civil War. So uh, if this is the last episode we record, because the world does actually end tomorrow in the Civil War conflagration that Alex Jones is predicting, I just want to say it's been great working with you. <laughs> And I, I just want to make that clear. So, yeah. Well, likewise, um, really enjoyed it. Lucky, luckily for us, the left isn't organized enough to no. to, to, to start a civil <laughs> no, no, no. war. And and actually, um, I, one of my favorite uh, uh, people, um, who the one who does the list, um, Suskin. I don't know if you read her stuff regularly on Twitter, but she said um, in reference. This is where I saw it was a, a Twitter reference where she linked to it and said. I don't know. I was planning on having a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, those of you who are who, who are going to be involved in starting a civil war may find yourselves actually being abandoned by those of us who are uh, actually doing other things. Is there anything you do on the 4th of July that... The 4th of July is actually my favorite holiday. Really? Um, yes. And I, I like the warmer weather. Uh-huh. Um, there's less family commitments. Not that I, I don't like family. Um, I do, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have the same type of feeling of, of stress that you get in the the, the winter holidays. That, that's true. Um, I like the food. I'm a hamburger, hot dog, over turkey kind of guy. Uh huh. Um, so I, I like the food, and I've always enjoyed fireworks. Uh, now we happened to have a family member. That was born a couple years ago on the 4th of oh, July. No. So 
Um, I mean, oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, right, but it, his birthday parties have taken over my Fourth of July. So it's a problem. No, it's 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 absolutely fine. Um, uh-huh. But that that is what we've been doing now. But no, th- nothing nothing that's com- completely regular every year. Although um, you know, I I do miss the hometown I grew up in has a wonderful Fourth of July uh, fireworks celebration mm-hmm. that includes the Oklahoma City Philharmonic, and I've I I miss going home for that. But that uh-huh. was something that I did regularly growing. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, we there is there are uh, two things that we do, and I'll I'll tell a little historical story about how we got to there. Um, we lived in Chicago in an apartment that was in a neighborhood that was uh, it was uh, U- Ukrainian Village was the area. It's a beautiful area. It's actually one of the last holdouts from gentrification on the near north side. And uh, but in addition to the Ukrainians, the neighborhood w- had very healthy amounts of Mexicans and Puerto Ricans who did not love each other, as it turned out. Um, but what was really funny was on the Fourth of July, you know, we had kind of our shades open and we're just kind of watching what was going on in the street and everything like that. And this guy um, who was alone and probably in his like late 50s walks up to the because we lived on a very busy corner. He walks up to the corner and he's got a paper bag and he opens the paper bag and he starts setting off fireworks, simple little fireworks. And he so he blows some firecrackers and a couple little things and a couple things that spin and everything like that. And then he cleans it all up and puts it all back in the bag and then walks away. So it's like this perfect, isolated Fourth of July celebration that this guy had. So, and I can only imagine it was because he just loves America that much. Yeah, yeah. So, in honor of that, our tradition on the Fourth of July is because we were eating takeout Chinese food that day. <laughs> so every Fourth of July, we take out Chinese food, and we watch 1776. Oh, okay. 1776 is possibly the worst musical. Ever, which is to say, I love it. I mean, I've seen it, uh, you know, 20 or 30 times. Uh, I learned actually a lot from it. Um, I'm going to be really disappointed because shortly I'm going to be going to Philadelphia and we're going to be looking at Ben Franklin stuff. And unfortunately, the real Ben Franklin doesn't really look like Howard DeSilva. Howard DeSilva was the actor who played Ben Franklin in 1776, which was actually very ironic because Howard DeSilva was one of the people who was brought out in front of the House on American Activities Committee for being a communist, right, in the in the late 1950s. So then he turns around and he gets to play Ben Franklin in 1776. It's a fantastic movie. William Daniels plays John Adams. Um, it has, uh, you know, you, it, it has an argument between Jefferson and Adams and Franklin about what the national bird should be. You know this? No, you know that, no. Okay, that John Adams won, of course, because it's the eagle. Jefferson wanted it to be the dove. Yeah. And, and what do you think? What do you think that uh, Ben Franklin wanted? Um, what would you guess? Uh, four of them. <laughs> he he wanted the turkey. The turkey. He wanted the turkey to be the national oh, bird. Okay. Because he thought it was basically what the what the what the colonists survived on. So there was that. And see, and you can imagine, right? So yeah. anyway, so it's, there's a whole it's a you know, great plot for a, yeah. for a song, yeah, right. But yeah, so 1776, of course, tells the whole story of the construction of Declaration of Independence. It has it's very dated feeling now in terms of some of its discussions, because uh, slavery was, of course, very controversial then, and um, uh, you know there were lots of arguments going on about it. But it also was produced in uh, the, the musical and uh, the original stage musical, which has been revived a couple of times, was and the film were produced, you know, kind of in the Vietnam era. So there's this kind of echo of that culture going on in it too, which is which is kind of interesting. Anyway, so that's what we do on the 4th of July. Eat Chinese food and watch 1776. I like it. That's so, cool. Yeah. 
Um, I wanted to talk about summer television. Okay. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> well, but, but, but a certain flavor of summer television. So, um, are you a big television watcher in I general? Am. Okay. I am. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so you have, you've realized that once summer run, run, rolls around, um, it used to traditionally be reruns. Right. And then at some point it got taken over by game shows like Wipeout. Right. <laughs> Which I get really excited about. Uh-huh. Um, I I grew up on a very healthy diet of game shows, and in, in fact, my, the uh, for a, a large portion of my childhood, the bus would drop me off at my grandparents' house, uh-huh. um, and my grandma, my little brother, and I would we'd get home, we'd do our homework, we'd eat a little snack, and we'd watch Hollywood Squares, Jeopardy, and Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego every day. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was what I what I uh-huh. I, I grew up on, um, and I, I, as I was scrolling through abc.com the other day, um, I noticed that there's like a, a, a significant amount of game shows that debuted um, forty years ago that are still on the air uh-huh. or have been brought back. So I wanted to play a little game <clears throat> with you. Okay, I'm going to tell you the show, and you tell me if it's still around. <laughs> And we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. All right. All right. Now, uh, I, I, let's let's start by saying you have much expertise on this. Although, I have to say that um, my lovely wife and I, when we sit down to eat dinner together at this little bistro table, it's just her, me, and Alexa. Yeah. And we play Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> we do, yeah. With, you can play Jeopardy you can play on Jeopardy. Alexa. Just all you have to do is say to your Alexa is, Alexa, play Jeopardy. And the next thing you hear is, da, 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 That's da, awesome. Da. And then they have, and they probably paid Alex Trebek like, you know, a thousand dollars to do 30 seconds worth of little sound pieces. And then most of it is Alexa asking you questions and mispronouncing things slightly and, and kind of a charming yeah. way. We, we, but it's tons of fun. We have to watch. We can't play um, because my wife is incredibly competitive and not fun to play with at all. Um, <laughs> like when so. you get something, she gets mad at you. Yeah. Is that? Well, yeah. and then she rewrites the rules is the problem. Yeah. You know, she... No, we actually, for us, it's a family thing because I found out that among the four of us, we all actually have significant pockets of knowledge that the others don't have. <laughs> well, you'd so. Be, okay, so you'd be great at this first one then. Okay. The first example is Family Feud. Family Feud is still on the air. It's definitely still on the air. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's an easy one. Uh, can you? I, so I could see you guys on Family Feud. I think you'd be a great Family Feud family. Would, you know, I think Family Feud, and I, I do want to mention something about this a little bit later because it has to do with the Supreme Court nominee, I want to suggest. But um, Family Feud is – because the goal of Family Feud and the goal of Jeopardy are kind of the opposite, right? The goal of Jeopardy right. is to ascertain something in the real world. Right. The goal of Family Feud is to be as incorrect as the largest number of people who were right, 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 and and it's it's become. I mean, now it's sort of you want to trick the contestants into almost saying something goofy, right? Like that's right. that's the, that's the whole premise of of the way the questions are. Um, who's the host of Family Feud right now? Any idea? Steve Harvey. That's right, Steve Harvey. Do you know how many shows Steve Harvey is hosting right now? <laughs> no. I looked this up because I, I wanted to, to make sure I had a complete list. So he is hosting Family Feud. He's uh-huh. also hosting Celebrity Family Feud. Have you watched any of the Celebrity Family Feud? I haven't Celebrity, either, no. no. Um, but I think it's on right now. Um, also, obviously, host of Miss Universe uh-huh. because that, that became a, yeah, that a big a, deal that was a, thing. <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, he's host of a show called Little Big Shots. Have you watched Little Big Shots? No. What is Little Big Shots? Little Big Shots is sort of like, um, uh, it's, it's uh, I would say a... Uh, 
a strand of kids say the darndest things from oh. with Bill Cosby, except these are kids who have talent. Right. So he interviews them. They say cute things, and then these kids have have you know do their little talent show, and Steve Harvey kind of does it with them as the goofy guy, you know, <laughs> who's also trying to perform with the performing dog. Right. Um, he is also uh, the host of a, sh- a show that was called Little Big Shots Forever Young, which is on the opposite <laughs> end of the age spectrum. So, which is it's sort of like should have been called the retired say the darndest things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, let's visit. Let's visit Grandma at the home and right. see what she's talking about, kind yeah. of things, and and see how many can be try, aired. Try to get her to swear a little that, bit less. That's right. Yeah. So, if you want to watch uh, Beverly, the seventy-eight-year-old blues guitarist, or Ernestine, the 81-year-old bodybuilder, <laughs> or Dorothy, the oldest living sh- showgirl. I don't know why you had to say oldest living, but um, but that's how how she's being described in the in oldest the living showgirl. Showgirl. There you go. Wow. Those, these are maybe the, not the oldest ever because there was a showgirl who passed away I guess who was so. actually yeah. older. Who's, something like who that. has been has been put in the official book of uh, age age showgirls <laughs> in the record book. Right. Um, okay, so other things um, he hosts. He hosts Steve Harvey's Thunderdome. I don't know what that is either. <laughs> Do two people enter and one person yeah, leaves, or is that? I have no idea what that one is. Um, it's but amazing. I, but I like it. Uh, uh-huh. I, a show just simply called Steve, um, which I don't know what that is. And then he also hosts uh, Showtime at the Apollo. So, I mean, that this the, and these are all current things. These are all things that have not been canceled that he's the host of right now. That's amazing. He is our era's Dick Clark. I mean, it's yeah. Steve Harvey. That's yeah, that's 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 very impressive. Uh yeah, I mean, uh, sort of on a on an unrelated side note is of course the the travails of Chris Hardwick who was for a period of time hosting 18 different things but has yeah. fallen on some hard times. And the rest of that's still, I think, kind of in the process of shaking out. Right. Because he was, you know, such a, like, in the nerdist world and everything, such a big deal. But, well, you know. Now, now the jury's out. Yeah. We'll have to see if, if Steve Har- Harvey climbs or falls from, from peak, I, peak Steve Harveyness. I, I hope that he is as clean as the whistle he appears to be. Let's hope. And, and also that Saturday Night Live can continue to do really good impressions of him because <laughs> they're very funny. Okay. So other other shows, are they on or are they not on right now? Pyramid. Um, which I would have known of as, as the $10,000 pyramid, which is probably a lame right. amount of money by now. But uh, I would guess it's off. It is on. It is. And it has been up <laughs> to $100,000 pyramid. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, currently hosted by Michael Strahan, mm-hmm. who has got one of the best career changes, transitions that I think we've seen from uh-huh. uh, NFL Super Bowl hero to, to uh, game show host. Okay. Uh, password. Password. I liked Password, uh, but it seems like very old school. See, I'm going to think these are all... This is my lack of game show knowledge. I'd say that's gone. It is gone, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when it, did that go? Um, it's ran four times. It was Password, then Password Plus, then Super Password, then Million Dollar Password. password. Um, the, the last version of it uh, ended in 2009, but Password ran from 61 to 75. Mm, okay. So, um, so, yeah, so Password's not there. Good. You got that one. Uh, the Match Game. <clears throat> the Match Game. Gene Rayburn. Didn't he do that originally? 
Am I thinking this is this is like this is getting into like at the very fringes of my knowledge? I would say that's still around. It is still around. It is still yeah, around. yeah. Alec Baldwin is actually hosting the match <laughs> game. I'm not kidding you. Talk about a career trajectory that's yeah. like you know. So so far, uh-huh. Family Feud, Pyramid, and Match Game, all of which debuted between '73 and '76, are running on television. So right. I wonder if it's a nostalgia thing that people who who got into the environment of those shows when they were younger, um, you know, want to return yeah. to it in some way. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Oh gosh, that was, uh, this could, you probably could have watched it with your, with your daughters being fifth graders. Yeah, I probably could have. Not when I was in fifth grade, it would not have no. been around cause it didn't exist then. I would guess that that's gone. It is gone. Yes. It ran from 2007 to 2015. You remember mm-hmm. who that, who that was hosted by? It was one of the, as I recall, it was one of the, uh, the, um, wasn't it one of the Southern comedian yes. groups? Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, here's a good one. Press your luck. <laughs> uh, you are no whammies. Clean, no whammies. Clean over my head on that one. Oh, you don't remember no whammies or no, no whammies? No. Eighty thousand in cash up there, waiting for you to take it away. One prize worth more than five thousand dollars. However, the bad news is there's some whammies. Both Tammy and Whammy are up there looking to take away your money. Big bucks. No whammies. Stop. Stop it, oh. Okay, we're going to have to pull up a, a YouTube <laughs> clip after this is done so you can see Press Your Luck. Uh-huh. Um, Press Your Luck's no longer around. It was, it debuted in 83. Um, what's interesting about Press Your Luck is it was narrated by Rod Roddy. So, ah, okay. Um, the Gong Show. The Gong Show is so culturally significant for a lot of reasons because it was like the anti-game show in a lot of ways. Yes. It was like the instantly postmodern game show. So I hope it's still around. It came back, it yes. Came- <laughs> and it is hosted by Mike Myers. And you should awesome. you should Google Mike Myers and the Gong Show because he's I mean he's got like the same kind of um, makeup on that he's had on several. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize it as Mike Myers, uh-huh. and it is bizarre to watch. <laughs> bizarre. Okay, um, to tell the truth, do you remember this one? To tell the truth, is that the one where you've got three people and one of them is the real person? That's right. That's right. Let me tell you something interesting about that. If you dig up that online i i am i am a Bellevaux and i'm distantly related to jean Bellevaux, who played for the montreal canadians he was like one of the biggest hockey players in in the sport in the 60s and 70s and uh they actually did an episode with him oh wow that you can find on youtube and it's just hilarious because there's three dudes who are in hockey uniforms who <laughs> on skates so they because they're on a platform and they have to walk down these stairs and then sit behind a table and get asked questions yeah and of course, what's funny about it is one of them looks like my dad. Wow! <laughs> he's the, you know, he's of course the the right wow. one. So it was like really cool to watch. Anyway, so that's neat. So is it still on? It is still it on. Is, oh. Yeah, it's uh, hosted by Anthony Anderson. Um, it's came on and off six times. This is six time back around. <laughs> um, there are twenty eight total seasons up to tell the truth. It premiered in nineteen fifty six. That's amazing. It's one of the it's one of the oldest. And you're right. There's there's a, a whole treasure trove on YouTube of 50s, 60s era to tell the truth, which is which is awesome to watch because it's very like, I mean, they they try to sort of simulate this this 
courtroom appear, appeal. Like you're like you're interrogating them, you know. So he's like he's like hold up your envelopes with the affidavits, you know. And <laughs> um, it is crazy to to, to watch some of the, the those old shows, which are really fun. And I believe you can find on YouTube that Dr. Seuss was actually one of them. Oh, that's um, awesome! Which is really cool. So, anyways, that is so, my. So that's let my me ask you, what's your what's your favorite game show? Mm, that's tough. Um, so it's the buffet. It's <laughs> right. I mean, I would I would have to say that my love for game shows eventually evolved into like competitive reality television, and in, uh-huh. in, in that sense, it's Survivor. Um, but if we're talking about like really kind of traditional game shows, it's probably still Jeopardy. Right? I think Jeopardy yeah. is amazingly fun. Yeah. I still think it's it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, although I have to say, one of my other favorites was. Um, Oh, what was it called? The one that Groucho Marx hosted um, many years ago because it, it because he and it ran. It was really interesting because it was sort of like a game show that was produced in the early 60s and then it was running in syndication um, for a very long time. Uh, and it just featured um, a lot of Groucho's um, typical humor, which was always kind of a little bit um, risque anyway. Um, and, you know, at a time when. Um, cause you know, in a lot of them, um, it was called, uh, you bet your life. Okay. I don't and know there are this. clips you can find on YouTube. And I mean, Groucho Marx was just such an amazingly spontaneous, hilarious person. And some of it is just, you know, gets really close to crude, but it's just very funny because there's Groucho who gets to be a wiseacre the whole time. And then he's got George, I can't remember George's name, uh, who uh, co-hosted, who was the, the George Fenneman. George Fenneman was the um, straight guy who basically did all of the the moving. And what's interesting about it is you're kind of watching a radio show that's been ported to television. So it's hmm. got kind of that interesting feel to it. But um, anyway, yeah, oh, that's no, I thought, neat. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Outside of that, though, I'm really just not. Um, so that ran actually, let's see, 19. I'm trying to see the dates that 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 ran. Um, 1955 to 19. No, I'm sorry, 1947 to 1961. Wow, was its run, and it ran on ABC, CBS, and NBC I love at different that. times. Yeah. yeah, I think to tell the truth it was the same thing. It was yeah. like ABC to, yeah. to the CBS. Yeah, very very portable. Yeah, I love that. Um, another thing that uh, while we're on the, the the thread about Jeopardy, the the my favorite SNL skits are Celebrity Jeopardy with Will Ferrell as Alex Trebek. <laughs> Sean Connery has set a new Jeopardy record with negative. $230,000. You think you're pretty smart, don't you, Trebek? What with your Dago mustache and your greasy hair? Look, what did I just say about ethnic slurs? From third rock from the sun, French Stewart in second place with negative $17,000. I'm a late bloomer, Alex, and in double jeopardy, I'm gonna bloom. Sure you will. And finally, back again, Burt Reynolds in a commanding lead with $14. Hey, hey, uh, check out the podium. Look at this. Mr. Reynolds has apparently changed his name to Turd Ferguson. Yeah, that's right. Turd Ferguson. It's a funny name. Great. Let's I have to say, my favorite is Black board. Jeopardy. <laughs> when <laughs> when they uh, come up with categories that are, uh, and then they usually have like a, a white guy with a Make America Great Again hat yeah. on, um, who, you know, actually ends up kind of doing okay and they kind of humorously let him play along. This 
is Black Jeopardy. Yeah, what up? What up, what up, what up? Welcome to Black Jeopardy, the only TV game show where the audience is in church clothes. <laughs> I'm your host, Darnell Hayes. Our contestants are Keely. Hi. Shanice. Okay, now. And Doug. How are you doing, sir? Oh, hey. <laughs> Doug, you sure you're ready to play Black Jeopardy? They told me a fella can win some money, so let's win me some money. Get her done. Well, I admire your confidence. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I think that the, you know, part of it was that, um, the game shows, you're right. I mean, game shows were a particular part of the day. And so it was sort of like the the, the idea of the summer fill-in that happened right. every afternoon between, you know, before primetime, right? Right. Which is kind of not a thing anymore. Um, but anyway, so our, but I should tell, our, our summer activity is watching Paul Dark. And Paul Dark is a masterpiece theater series okay. that they have remade and they're in their, they've made three seasons. There's a fourth season coming up. It's all set in the, uh, it's set in uh, Cornwall in the late 18th, early 19th, late 18th century. And uh, the central character was somebody who had fought in the American Revolution on the losing side, the British. And then he comes back to his Cornish mining town where things are tough and he has to eke out a living running mines and things like that. But it's totally like soap opera-y and, you know, it's got uh, um, uh, it's got a really good cast. They've really, I had originally watched a version, they produced a version of it in the late 70s that I'd seen in the early 80s and this is one that, that's ongoing. Now there's a fourth season coming up this coming September to run in the U.S. It's running in the U.K. right now. But it's it's kind of gloriously indulgent. Like you get inside this world. Um, there's you know, and, and what what I think is interesting about it is there's kind of this um, implicit idea of there have to be limits to capitalism, because you know part of what's happening is sort of like that there are these the, the the there's this clear class separation, and the upper classes are just getting richer and richer, and the miners are getting poorer and poorer, and so Ross Poldark, who's like the hero of the show, is you know trying to help the miners be able to have an actual living, even if sometimes that infringes on sort of like rapacious capitalism. And then of course on the other hand, there's a, a the the villain is a banker who is a rapacious capitalist who two generations before came from a blacksmithing family. So he's trying to pretend to be gentry, even mm. though he's actually not. So it's that kind of soap opera stuff, though, if you're interested in it. Yeah. If not, do not watch it. No, I think, I think <laughs> but, this, we have, we have, you, your soap opera indulgence is Masterpiece Theater, <laughs> and mine just happens to be Big Brother Live Feed. It's, it's, it's a it's similar thing. Um, it just com comes on a, a, d a different place. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how that, I mean, the, the, the competitiveness that has been a part of those is something that you're kind of like, you're okay with all that. I've been watching some episodes of... Uh, uh, the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is actually, it's it's really interesting because there's this, th there seems to be a lack of cruelty in their competition. Right. Except for the judges right. who are, you know, devastated. Yeah. This tastes really good, but it crumbles yeah. in my hand. Yeah. You have failed, right? Yeah, that's what's really interesting. That Wow, you know, sort of the difference, I think, between sort of the British Bake Off and other food competition shows is... They try to make it very highbrow, you yeah, know, yeah. like it's it's a it's a very to do thing that show, which yeah. is which is actually I I really enjoy that. My favorite, yeah, my favorite of those is Iron Chef, the, oh, the old okay. school yeah. Iron Chef, because you had 
you know, three people who were compete or well, two. Uh, you, you had two people who were competing. One was a recognized Iron Chef, and one they did right. this whole biographical pitch of. The show is just I've taught it in class before because I think it's such an amazingly well constructed show in terms of how they involve you in this preparation of food that you're right. never going to eat right? because <laughs> you can't afford the ingredients. Right. But but there's just such a beautiful demonstration of expertise in it. Yeah. And it's just kind of phenomenal. I've always yeah. liked it. I've always said the same thing about uh, Project Runway, which is a show that I haven't watched it in a while, but mm-hmm. a show that I've watched several seasons of it. And it's the same thing when they're like, okay, you know, you're going to have a thousand dollar budget to do this and they're like ah oh, only a thousand dollars and I was like what like you're making one piece of clothing and you're doing it in in 24 hours like that seems like enough be plenty for anybody right um <laughs> But anyway, it's okay. That, that's all. That's all I have. Thank you for indulging me. That's on my, beautiful. On that my is television, a beautiful thing. Television talk. Um, I, I I would like to suggest that uh, the, the, a couple of online things that I think are worth mentioning. One is, have you seen the dog trick Mm-mm. that people are doing? So people are doing this oh, yes, thing. Oh yes, yes. Right. Okay. And one of my. With, with, uh, sorry, I'll let you explain it for the listeners who right. haven't heard so, about it. And, and you can go look at it. It's pretty easy to find. But basically, it's you make sure your dog is looking at you. You hold a blanket up over your head, and you kind of toss it up a little bit and duck behind something and when the blanket falls then the dog freaks out because there's no person there right yeah so which you know i was going to make this whole joke about how cruel it is to do this to dogs right i kind of i kind of want to do it to my daughters (laughs) (laughs) oh to your daughters i think they would be blown away by this i if you do please please shoot video please put it online because you owe that to us because I, I don't, I don't, I mean, somebody somewhere must have done it to a sure. human. That would be such a funny thing. But I, I, I won't say who it is, but I had a colleague who did it. And when the blanket dropped, the dog just walked exactly over to where the person was standing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, but I'm still working my way slowly through a, 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 a book on dog behavior. Okay. And one of the interesting things it talked about is flicker rate, which is the rate of the transition between when... Uh, light gets into your eyes and when it actually turns it into something that you can use. And standard human flicker rate um, is about 60 cycles. So mm-hmm. that's part of why I think our our television right. matches the thing. Right. Um, dogs is faster, actually. Huh. And so that's part of why. I, because, I, I would actually guess the opposite. But I wouldn't yeah, no, because, they're, because they're, uh, vision, their, their vision is and it's kind of this interesting natural selection thing where their vision, depending on the length of their snout, they either have, if they have a short snout, then they have more concentrated uh, visual apparatus at the center of their iris. If they have a longer snout, breed-wise, then they actually have a distribution of a wide band that goes across the back of their eye that allows them to see things at a distance and chase them and, and more, much more accurately. But they all their their um, but their flicker rate is faster than ours. So um, what that means is that when they're in front of a television, they see the black parts mm-hmm. that we don't see, right? The mm-hmm. the alternate. So they so they would not be able to consume it the same way that we would. Wow. But this is like old school television with digital. It sure. might not be the same. But uh, but I've always found I, mean, I and I and of course this leads to the next dumb question that I have, which is what's the flicker rate for rats? Because I have watched television with rats before, and they are so engaged. <laughs> I'm serious. You get a pet rat, you make it friend, and you sit it on your shoulder, and they will sit there and watch television with you. And I don't know if it's because they think humans are hilarious and absurd, but I am curious about their flicker rate. Yeah. So that's one of my projects for the summer is to find out what the flicker rate of, of a rat is. I think this is publishable <laughs> material. I think you can have a peer-reviewed article on this. Um, okay. We actually just we, – well, 
I don't want to go into too much of it, but may this is a future episode talk. We have adopted a dog in the last week. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. So, so that is that is a, a new th- a new thing in our household. Uh-huh. So we have lots to talk about as, as this is the first family dog. I mean, I had family dogs growing up. This right. is the first family dog for my my now family. Yeah. So. I, I almost adopted a dog this week because there was one that was lost. And somebody recovered it, and so I messaged. It was on the microsite for the area where uh, I live, and I was like, "Did you find the owner yet?" No, no, no. And I was like, "Okay, I got to start working on the family. Get this in there." Yeah. But then they found the owner, which oh, I'm good. I'm very happy about. But, good deal. Yeah. So that's good. So we will get to that. So, um, you know, there's going to be a an opening on the Supreme Court. Yes. Who do you want? Who do you think should be there? Um, I, I have, and you didn't. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you yeah. this. So, I mean, I. I I I I got to be honest. I've tr- I mean I what I've I've listened to some podcast about it, but I'm not following specific people too closely. Um, almost be, to keep an arm's distance from this conversation, which is I think one of the the most depressing topics mm-hmm. you know in a long time. Is well, I I need to make fun of this, so you can certainly come up with an absurd possibility. Oh, great! Then, I have I have a recommendation, but perfect, I Judge mean, Judy. <laughs> That 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 struck. That sounds un- like the person I would pick, right? It could be a possibility, right? <laughs> we need some. We need another person with a lace on the Supreme Court. My suggestion is this: Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, because I think that the thing that's missing is the complete random madness of the crowd. And you know, Rotten Tomatoes does this interesting thing because I don't know if you do. Like, do you look at Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. And yeah. so and so you look at it and go, well, that's a thing, right? Oh, this movie I want to see. It's it's got an eighty four in Rotten Tomatoes. Right. That means it'll probably be okay. Or else you see something and think it's wonderful, and you go and you look and on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a thirteen. And you're like, what's wrong yeah, with you? Doesn't people? that crush you when that happens? It does. Too? It's so depressing. Yeah. It's, it's it's a it's a very sad thing. Um, but people treat it like, and it's it's really, I mean, it's kind of algorithmically very interesting because. It's a total average of, you know, who's decided to respond to it and things like that. And I just thought that, you know, since we're in this era where it seems like masses of people get to decide what's real and what's not, uh, that that Rotten Tomatoes should get a seat on the Supreme Court. And, you know, you could have people vote. So you've got, you know, a number of justices who do what they think is the right thing. And then there's just like random public factor of like, what do the people think? Right. And just to see what it happens. So that's my that's my suggestion for the Supreme Court. We come up with the algorithmic equivalents to Rotten Tomatoes to exist as a piece of justice. And, you know, I'm joking about that, of course, but the serious part of it is this question about, you know, what's the nature of representation in a democracy? You know, is the person that you're voting for in an election, hypothetically, are you voting for somebody to make decisions based on their own judgment or are they supposed to reflect what their constituency thinks and what's their constituency. So like if you're, you know, I was thinking about this in relationship to, you know, decisions at the national level is your constituency, just the people that you represent from the, from the district or the area or the state that you're connected to, or is your responsibility actually to the country as a whole or whatever the larger entity is. Um, and I think that there are some just some interesting discussions that have been going on for a very long time. Um, you know, going all the way back to uh, Edmund Burke talking about the poll versus the polis, you know, what 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 are we doing when we're voting for someone yeah. versus, you know, essentially direct democracy? <clears throat> yeah. Well, what, what what I understand about this, I mean, this can this is arguably one of the largest factors to why Donald Trump won. Um, and essentially the argument is, I mean, he he basically said he would say this publicly in rallies that, you know, whether you like me or not, you're going to vote for me because 
I'm I, I'm likely to put on the the Supreme Court justices in which you um, you want. And when it, I think when the exit polls came out, I could be wrong about this, but from something I, I recently heard, you know, on the exit polls of the question of you know um, how much how much did this did the Supreme Court justice um, opportunities affect your vote? I mean, it came out like two to one. Republican over Democrat. I mean, it's became it was it's been a big part of the Republican Party for a long time. Is that you know elect Republicans because you want uh, uh, conservative Supreme Court justices, mm-hmm. and that's that's just been that's been a part of the of their political party fabric uh, for a significant amount of time, where that's really never been at the top of of the Democratic Party, you know, reason for voting. And, and I, being in Oklahoma, you know, you, I actually have the opportunity to talk, talk with several people who uh, voted for Trump, whether they necessarily supported him or not in the election. And um, usually that was one of the first things they went to as to how they they were actually able to, to you know, vote for Trump was that they w- wanted to make sure that the next two or, you know, one or two, I mean, I don't know if we, I think there was always a possibility of two, mm-hmm. um, maybe not within the first two years and maybe not the second one during the election year, because, you know, that's always been sort of the unwritten rule is don't do it during an election year, but here we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, here we are. Here we are. Stuck in that. Uh, so, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's the way it's gone. And it's, it's really unfortunate to see something as <laughs> the Supreme court, which, you know, um, is supposed to be above partisan politics, um, where you're given th- this lifetime role, um, you know, has really become incredibly partisan over time. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, you know, we, we, we fail to have a, a centrist on the Supreme court, uh, you know, really anymore, which yeah. is, which is unfortunate. Well, yeah. And, and we're going to be in the age of, we were in the age of five to four decisions. Probably we're going to be six to three yeah. for a long time, I would guess. Uh, and unfortunately I think there's going to be, there's going to be consequences from it in the short and long term, but, uh, but that's where we are. So uh, trust, I think, is is a factor. And uh, I was going to make a recommendation that if you haven't seen it, um, either you, Adam, or folks floating around out there, there was a video that was posted uh, by Above the Noise, which is a media criticism wing, um, called Can You Trust Influencers on YouTube? Mm. And I think it's interesting because they were talking there about the percentage of YouTubers who actually admit to their sponsorship. What yeah. do you think that percentage is? Uh, 25%. Well, 10. Oh, really? That low? <laughs> right. Only 10%, according to Above the Noise, only 10% of the um, so-called class of influencers on YouTube actually acknowledge all of their sponsorships. And an influencer, according to their definition um, on this video, is someone with established credibility in a specific area who can persuade others by virtue of their authenticity and reach. And that's, I think, an interesting thing that uh, that that's a characteristic. Uh, there are some interviews that are in this video. It's not a long video; it's about ten minutes long. But it's definitely worth having a look at to to see how this kind of communication takes place between influencers and their audience, right? Because they have kind of an identified group of people, and some of these influencers are just astoundingly rich based on yeah. their on their followers. And so it's, I think, still a 
kind of a new medium in a way. It's kind of a, a new way of interacting with the public that seems very, very popular, um, sort of like the younger demographic you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it does. I mean, I think that there are interesting parallels in terms of how do you think about and talk about trust in relationship to somebody sitting there and what they're what they're seeing in the media. Yeah, I would also, you know, argue that part of the conversation is how do you think about identity and something like that too? Because if you grow up in in an age where the mo- the majority of the, the the interactions that you have with online are with influencers then you start to assume sort of a digital identity that is similar to an influencer mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways you try to try to mimic that without without actually having the the monetization side right. necessarily like you just you still sort of act like one as well which i think is really fascinating to watch um you know how younger demographics play on social media when the the type of people which they follow are you know are, are mostly a, a composite of of these influencer type personalities mm-hmm. and there seems to be i mean i think in my experience with them there's like a uh, there is much more diversity in terms of influencers because it seems very audience driven rather than corporate driven in the media world right um so you know how much is it going to successfully compete for attention in the future i think yeah. is going to be an interesting question and how's it going to evolve as a medium um, so that there are some people, you know, it's like hearing the first time. I love having this conversation with the people who hear about Twitch for the first time. Yeah. Right. Because and I remember I mean, I remember in my head going, no, that can't be right. Just I mean, that of, just can't be a thing. Right. And then you see the scope of it. And it's just like this huge, amazing the events that they have and how the channel operates and everything like that. It's just kind of an, an astounding interaction. Part of that being that I am not a gamer, as was demonstrated earlier when we were having our discussion <laughs> about game shows. I'm just, you know, that's that's not uh, that's that's not my home territory. Yeah. Well, so. you know, I'll, I'll I'll ponder that as I consume these uh, spicy chili nut M and M's and and drink my. Uh, <laughs> Diet Coke, um, brought to you by the Coca Cola Company. That's it's good that you're honest about your. I, I just kind of slide it in. I just kind of yeah, slide it in. I think it's yeah. uh, Apple, a very good Apple sort of thing to Apple say all the time. Apple, <laughs> it's just you know, it's an Appleicious Apple, 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 Apple. No, we wouldn't want to. We we are we are we are free from the burdens of actually having any kind of corporate overlord uh, in the private sector. Uh, we are dependent on Sennheiser's high quality microphone <laughs> technology and Yamaha's high quality yeah. Yeah. board technology. We should call ourselves Media in the End of the World brought to you by David Candy. I mean, that's that's <laughs> what the reality is. is yeah. Is. That's our engineer, by the way, who, who uh, helps us with our tech setup here. Last thing, let me just bring this up really quickly, is the idea of solid, because you probably know a little bit about more about this than I do. And I'm just kind of curious because you'd mentioned it last week. It's a uh, it's a code that Tim Berners-Lee uh, has been working on. Tim Berners-Lee is probably the most important unknown person. Yes. The one that, that people in the public don't know about. Inventor of the World Wide Web. Right. Inventor yeah. Yeah. of HTML and yeah. the World Wide Web. And his impulse, and I think this is an interesting thing that we can always ask ourselves, his impulse was to always make it completely accessible, completely open. And so what he's working on is he's working on a code. There's a profile of him in uh, Vanity Fair uh, that was uh, actually uh, dated July 1st. And where what he's talking about is a code he's working on called Solid, the design of which, the idea of it, is to give people 
people more control over their own information and try to struggle against the way that information is being appropriated and distributed by some of the larger media organizations, the Facebooks and the Googles and the people who are collecting information about you, whether you know that that's happening uh, or not. If you're interested in this, by the way, uh, one of our first season episodes was about uh, digital redlining and talked about a lot of this, about the way that your information is being absorbed all the time. But it'll be interesting to see if his his project actually works because his intention is, again, to make it as publicly accessible as possible. So what do you think about that? Um, <clears throat> I, um, uh, I would say philosophically really like the idea. I'll be interested to see if he can, I mean, as someone who's dabbled in the open source community, um, I, you know, have great familiarity with how hard it is to get new things off the ground, even mm-hmm. things that are, that are perfect in idea. Um, what I really like about it is he's the one behind it, which I think brings a cachet that other projects don't necessarily, um, bring themselves. But I mean, you, there are so many factors that have to, have to also buy into it, whether it's, um, uh, uh, AT&T type companies, you know, you need, you need the infrastructure there. You need the, the, the hardware to play with it as well. I mean, it's, that's, that's going to be the, the big question is, is can we essentially, can you, can you migrate this community that's come to be built up in the, in the economies that exist around the world wide web into something else uh, that people believe in? So, you know, I've, I've played with um, uh, like alternative browsers, you know, that, that, are either developed through people that used to work for Firefox, which is a you know probably one of the, the the best examples of a really strong open source community that's that's thinking about um, you know the the value of the web beyond sort of the versions it has now. Um, there's one called Brave, which is uh, a, a, you know a, a browser that essentially blocks ads. Um, throughout throughout the, the internet and supposedly supposed to make tracking a lot harder on you. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard to, to buy into technologies that when you get used to the level of quality that you get, you know, through a Google experience or through an Apple experience, mm-hmm. and then you have this new thing come along and you want to like it, but the user experience just isn't there yet. Yeah. Um, I, I've been, I've been actually trying to shift my searching over to DuckDuckGo. Yeah. And it's just interesting because it is it is harder to like you. There's this impulse to go. I kind of miss my whole like soft, right. squishy Google That's universe. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, as much as you want to buy into it philosophically, in which by by all means, there's you know, you know, fewer people than me that really want to. Um, it, it takes so, it takes so much at this point. I'm not I'm not convinced that we're going to be able to create. A better internet because I'm not I'm not convinced that the technology I I think the technology is significant part of the problem but I also think the the larger part of the problem is is the people that mm-hmm. are building it more than anything else and um, I don't well, know well and also the people participating it in it who decide they just don't want to really think very hard yeah. about what they're doing because you know the itch gets scratched really easily you type in the term and then suddenly you know where Tom Petty's from that's yeah. right there you go that's it <laughs> it's kind of an where amazing thing um, I uh, I, I mean, I, I have similar thoughts about when I hear something like, you know, there's this new open source um, application that looks and feels like Twitter, but isn't Twitter. And we're going to go all use that now. And I'm like, I don't think that really fixes anything. Just moving over to the Twitter that, that, that doesn't 
you know, monetize our data and let Donald Trump be on. Although I, I do have an idea of um, a social network that is just called everybody but Donald Trump.com. <laughs> um, and which that's, that's really the rule is just uh-huh. everyone and everyone else can be there if they'd like, but he can't. Um, I think that'd, that'd be successful itself. But that's sort of that, you know, that's sort of the same premise, you know, is, is what's well, the same thing as we had before, but now it's just, you know, open source. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that necessarily solves it. I don't think I, I, I believe in open source. Um, I, I believe in, in, in it philosophically, but I don't know if that solves this, like the social complexities and problems that we yeah, have. And it, I mean, it, it does kind of then go back to how much you want to trust other folks. And right. that's, you know, that, that to me, again, it's sort of, like, I think I've said this before. It's sort of like the thing I keep cycling back to is how can we have a conversation about trust that actually helps to, helps us to understand it better. How we, you know, how do we trust the people we listen to on television? How do we trust the people in the media? Um, of course, the, you know, the shooting at Annapolis um, was really heartbreaking for all of us who were oh, connected yeah. to the media in, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, the question becomes, has there just been an environment created where there's such hostility and a lack of trust toward the people who are basically the last thing standing between you and rampant local corruption? Um, but if you don't trust them, then, you know, what's your alternative? Your alternative is nobody's watching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, I had a, did sort of tie a bow on this independence day themed, um, you know, podcast. I mean, I had a, uh, a classics professor at history courses, you know, who, who, who taught the history of Greece and the history of Rome and, mm-hmm. and really sort of the, the reason for these courses was we can look at how those civilizations eventually fell, um, as a way to try to interpret what, you know, what eventually happens to America or is America, you know, the United States gonna, uh, as a democracy going to be a um a mirror of these earlier democracies that that similarly had problems and and ceased to exist long term mm-hmm. um as as worldwide dynasties you know and and uh, i think that's that's probably where the world ends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if, you know, again, if, if, uh, if people are listening to this after the 4th of July, then we'll know that the Civil War didn't take place and uh, we didn't actually drag this version of media to the end of the world, that it's still going to continue to exist come July 5th. There we'll we go. Be, we'll all be happy. All right. That's the end of this episode. Thanks again for joining us. We will see you, talk to you shortly. 